0: I hope you do plan to take advantage of the uh, marriage and family conference that will be given uh, this Saturday and Sunday. It, uh, you, will, you will not regret it. it. It will be a good teaching time and training time. Uh, you can uh, obviously fill out the form that uh, Chris was talking about. I hope you turn that in. If you thought, oh, I forgot, <clears throat> there is uh, online on, the, on our website a way you can register uh, there as well. And so we just, uh, we'd love to have a great attendance and and use this to invite other people. Uh, you know, you, you know some others that are married, uh, this is the type of event that uh, they may be willing to come to, and so certainly share with others about this. Uh, and we have some signs, some yard signs we're placing out, so uh, if you'd like to help out you're in a visible place near an intersection, let us know, and we'd like to Get that to you. But, you know, think about the marriage and family conference. It's, it's something that I'm looking forward to personally. Being married 12 years, uh, you always need to have rechecks and making sure that you're not deviating uh, down a, a destructive path. I think about how we uh, first began our relationship. It was a uh, long distance relationship for about two years. Uh, she lived in Atlanta while I lived in Boone, and uh, back in. Uh, 92 through 94, or or 94 to 96, is really before the internet became uh, very popular. We had email among campuses, but not uh, as widespread as we use it today. So we were relying on the old phone calls and and letters uh, to communicate with one another. And uh, uh, I got a a nice bag of uh, her letters that she sent to me, and she has a quite a bit smaller bag of my letters to her. And, uh, you know, I, back then we had three other guys that we lived in the same apartment. We all had long-distance relationships, and uh, we had to take turns with the use of the phone and waiting in line using the phone. And, and you know, those are very irritating uh, ways of communicating, but nonetheless we, we enjoyed it because it was just a little bit of, of revelation of this person, you know, to, to get her reactions, to... Uh, events and things and, and my own statements to get her reaction and if, it, even if it was just over the, uh, the phone. But I would have gladly traded my bag of letters, uh, for her person to have her there because there's, uh, something about having the full sensory effect of, of a, a person, uh, to be able to see her facial reactions to statements and thoughts and ideas, to, uh, to smell her hair and to, uh, to see her eyes and how they react and, uh, to see the skin and, and to, uh, to touch the hand and, and to have that is, it is so much better than letters and phone calls and emails if we had had it. Um, it was a superior revelation. And I want you to keep that thought in mind as we turn to Hebrews chapter one. And I want to share with you, That what you have in Jesus Christ is a superior revelation of God Himself. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at specifically. This is a letter that uh, no one really knows the author. Uh, It was brought to my attention that the Pew Bible uh, states that this is a letter of Paul. Um, It is an error. Uh, that it was man's opinion in the Pew's Bible there. Uh, no one really knows who wrote this letter. Uh, it is thought that perhaps this is what's called a sermonic letter, uh, not a true letter, but uh, in an essence where you have a, a, an audience and author mentioned, but it was a sermon written down, given uh, toward this group of people who were very familiar with the Old Testament. And so Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 is a good summary of the entire book. If you want to know what the entire book is about, read the first four verses. And just like a good uh, writer would do, he writes out the main idea at the very beginning. uh, And saying this is a superior revelation. And so we're going to look at these first four verses. We'll look next time at the entirety of this chapter. Uh, but the idea, simply, Jesus is a better revelation. And we're going to look at why. In fact, there's seven main reasons that the author brings out as to why he's a better revelation. And so in honor of this passage, let's stand together as we read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You may be seated. I think that it is important to note that right from the beginning, he says something that seems simple and elementary to us, but it is a fundamental difference Around the world, and that is simply God spoke. God spoke. You notice in verse one he says that in times past God has spoken. In the beginning, God, verse one, Genesis, God created, Hebrews one, this same one who created, who is, is speaking, and has spoke. That is huge. Just because you're familiar with that idea, do not lose the special value of what that means. This one who created you is speaking and has spoke. But notice it says in times past, a long ago at many times in many ways, uh, various times, various ways. And another way of saying that is in there have been many portions and it has been a little bit. By little bit. In many types of ways. God has spoken to our ancestors. To our fathers. And he did it through prophets. He did it through mankind. Uh, this is valuable. But it is still not complete. You know as I leave uh, this, this site. As I'm working in the office and going. It inevitably happens. That as I exit out. The parking lot, and before I get onto the road, a thought occurs to me: I forgot to call, whoever, and so I'll start dialing before I get onto the road. And uh, the time I pull onto the road, and I'm, I'm waiting for the phone to start to ring, and it starts to ring, and it seems to be that they start to pick up right as I'm getting down close to two sixty four, before getting to Mingo Creek. There's a nice dip in the road. And here's what happens. They pick up and say, hello. And I say, hello, my name is so-and-so. And we start to talk. And, and, it, and they start to talk. And as I'm getting to the ravine, it is always a, a dead zone in the cell phone reception. And it starts to break up. And I'm thinking, oh, I did it again. And it inevitably, before I get to 264, the call has failed. Like, oh, why don't I ever remember that? And I never remember, and every time I do that, dozens and dozens of times, I try to call and it breaks up. There's little, there's little snippets of that phone call where it's breaking in and out. Many times, many fragments, little bit by little bit, partial by partial, is the Old Testament. Okay? It is the prophet giving portion by portion and we long for that clear communication and what you have in Jesus Christ is the full communication. No cell phones, no interruptions, no breaking, no coverage failing. It is superior. And so that is a way of thinking about this and understanding this. We are thankful for the little bits by little bits but we long for something more. And so... He has spoken, notice verse 2, in these last days. Now what he's referring to here in these last days is not in so much chronological uh, finality as much as he's talking about a theological finality. It is to say that this isn't literally, uh, well, you know, this is the last day upon earth. And it could very well be, but he's speaking more about the way God has worked. That God has, since the author wrote this, has done such an, a work in time and history that has done dealt such a devastating blow that it is, in essence, the last days. We understand this in, in days of war. In days of war, there will be usually somewhere along the way a battle that is such of a devastating consequence that it is inevitable who will win the war. And it's just a matter of time before the resistance is uh, petering out. You see this in Gettysburg in in the Civil War. Uh, You see this with uh, the droppings of the atomic bombs uh, with D-Day in World War II. Uh, And so what you have with Jesus on the cross is a devastating blow that when he dies upon the cross and becomes sin and rises from the dead, God deals a devastating blow upon Satan, crushes the head of Satan, and it is just a matter of time... Before we realize the victory that's been had. Now, for those of you who grew up on the farm. You may understand this. With chickens. Uh, my parents and grandparents. Will tell me the stories. and in, in, in my generation. and this civilization. We know very little of killing chickens. Uh, we just. You know. Go through the drive-thru. And it's already fried. And, and bam. There it is. But. Uh. Those who have experienced this will never forget that when you take a chicken, you can uh, have a, a, you know, a couple of different ways to kill that chicken. Uh, you know, you can take it by the neck and, and wring it its neck, or you can take a <laughs> oh, you face, this is great—take uh, a, a hatchet and behead that chicken. Now, those of you who have experienced this understand that though you have beheaded the chicken, the body of the chicken has not yet fully realized its death. It's there. The devastating blow has occurred. But that chicken could just as likely move around and even run around without its head. This is why our parents and grandparents still remember that. Because that's a traumatizing thing to have a headless chicken chasing you. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a parent will tell the child it's okay. You know what? This chicken can't hurt you. It's just a matter of time before it goes down, all right? And it's been dealt a devastating blow. You could say it's in the last seconds, all right? So the author says there has been such a devastating blow upon Satan and his work that it is in the last days. There's nothing more that God has to do other than just to bring physical... The reality that's already been done, and that is the kingdom of God. It is a spiritual kingdom now, but there is a time, because of the cross and the resurrection, that all that awaits now is the physical manifestation, the realization of the kingdom of God. And it's all coming down. Satan is a headless chicken. And he's coming after you. But it's okay, because you know... Jesus has done the devastating blow. So here we are in these last days. He has spoken to us by his son. All right. Now, from this point on, he is going to give seven reasons why this is a better revelation than the prophets who's gone previously. And I would add anyone who might come after who claims to be a revelation of God, that Jesus is superior to them, be it in the form of Jehovah's Witness, Mormons or Islam, who claim to have a revelation after Jesus. And so, let's look at this. And, and let me just bring out the structure of this sentence. This is a long sentence. goes all the way to verse 4. But there's really one subject and there's one main verb. The subject being the son, uh, who becomes replaced with the pronoun Whom. And the verb, the main verb, is found there in verse three at the end. Sat down. All that you see between the sun and sat down are what you call verb phrases. Verb phrases to modify the sun. Okay, but the two things the sun are the one thing the sun does is he sits down at the right hand of God and Majesty and power and glory. And the reason why is found in between, okay? So, let's look at the in between. Who is the son? First, uh, the first reason why it's a better revelation is because whom he appointed the heir of all things. This one who's revealing, the one who is speaking, is the one who is the heir, appointed heir of all things. In other words, everything. When he says all things, understand that. It's, yeah, you, (laughs) it's your family. It's your occupation, it's your past, it's your present, it's your country, it's your school, it's your it's everything that is a thing. He is inherited as heir of that. In other words, it's going to belong to him. Why is that important? Why is it significant to know that everything belongs to him and is going to his conclusion? The reason that's important is because what Jesus reveals in the gospel is some mighty. Powerful promises, and we ask ourselves: Can He make good on those promises? When He says that where I am, there you may be also, we ask: Can Jesus make good on that? When Jesus says that where you are, there I will be also, and there that wherever you, are, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we ask: Can He make good on that promise? You find other promises in the in the Gospels that says uh, that all things work together to good for those who are called according to His purpose, who love Him, and we ask. Can he make good on the evil, horrendous things that we see? Is he capable of doing that? And so when he says that the one who's revealed is the inheritor or the heir of all things, what he's assuring us is, yes, he can make good of it all because it all belongs to him. That's why that's important and significant. But then he goes on and says, well, not only is he the inheritor of... Uh, the heir of all things, he is also the one through whom also he has made the worlds. So the world belongs to Jesus, not just because he is the heir, but also because he is the creator of it all. We might be confused and think, well Jesus was just a special human being that God liked. And so because God liked him, he inherited or gave everything to him. But you need to understand something. When he says don't don't think that way. He is the one also Who's created the world. So in other words, he's not just a human being. He is God. He is God. And it always belonged to him. So your marriage, your occupation, your children, your future, your past, your cars, your homes, everything that is a thing belongs to Jesus. Not only because he created it, but also because he is the heir of it. Everything started with Jesus and is going to Jesus. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the mega. And so that's what he's bringing out, that when he speaks, (laughs) you've got a great one that's speaking to you. Have you ever wished, you ever wondered, God, you know, I'm trying to make a decision. Could you reveal something to me? Could you write it in the sky? And we think we could, and we ask, well, why don't he? Why doesn't he write it in the sky? Could you just call me? You know, that would help. Could I get a heavenly call and just tell me? Can you just tell me what do I need to do? For any of you who've ever claimed or craved a another revelation, another message, let me ask you, have you exhausted the one He's already given you in Jesus Christ, who is the heir of all things and the source of all things? This is something we need to ask ourselves and to explore. Now, we, we see that he is uh, all things belong to Him. Everything has been made through Him. These two relate to Jesus with creation. The next two that we'll see in verse 3 relate to Jesus with God the Father. Now, what is it we see? Well, verse 3. Who being in the brightness of His glory. Who being in the brightness of His glory. Now, this, this is a, an abstract statement. What is the glory... And how do we know when we see the brightness of it? I mean, can we get our mind around that? And I, I pray that we can use our imagination here to, to kind of see this. Uh, the glory. Let's start there. The glory of God is the adoration of God, is the brilliance of God. It is, it is to see that someone is so unique, so rare. If you were to go to see the Hope Diamond... You would be there, probably there'd be others there in that room with you. It'd be enclosed within, security within, all kinds of very security. And you would look upon the faces and they would be looking at the diamond and notice the light shining out of the diamond and that which you see in people's face looking at it, the, the beauty, the sense of, whoa, wow, maybe desire. <laughs> uh, that's the glory of the diamond. The reaction that people get to that diamond. Now that's a rock. Okay? And It is rare, but it's just a rock. If you could imagine, somehow we could see God, a bit of God, and that which people respond to with, with their face, their adoration, the emotion, and looking at who God is, the brilliance, the unique, the, uh, that, the fame of who God is, that is the glory of God. And then it says the brightness of the glory of God. Like, oh, you're losing me, Pastor. <laughs> Alright, well it's, Uh, Someone share with me this, and it was very helpful. The sun. Okay? The sun. Let's compare the sun to God the Father. All right? When you're looking up into the sky, when you see the sun, you're not actually looking at the sun. You're seeing the sun glare, the sun shine, the radiance, the rays of the sun. In fact, we can't really see the sun with our own eyes. We can see the sun rays. The sun rays is the extension of the sun. It is separate, yet the same with the sun. By virtue of the sun being what it is, it must have sun rays and sunshine. Jesus, separate from the God the Father, but yet one with God the Father, is as the radiance coming out of God the Father. And so it has its effect on us. And so when we see Jesus, you're seeing the visible aspects of God the Father. He is the brightness of His glory. So, when Jesus speaks, it's important to listen to the brightness of the glory of God. Because it is the brightness of the glory of God. He is the heir of all things. He is through whom God created the world. And then knowing that, we see that He is the express image of His person. In other words, when Jesus was walking this earth, he said, when you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. That's why it's important to listen to Jesus, to hear Jesus. He is the best revelation. He is so far superior than a messenger, than a prophet. Don't settle for the prophets. You must interpret the prophets through Jesus Christ, who is the superior revelation. And not only this, let's keep on going here. We find, why should we listen to Jesus? Why is it a better revelation? Because he's the appointed heir of all things. Second, because he is through him that the worlds have been made. Third, he is the brightness of his glory. Fourth, he is the express image of his person. Fifth, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now he's we're seeing Jesus in relation to the world. Let me just talk about this for a second. You know, I praise God for powerful thunderstorms. You know, there's type of thunderstorms where uh, lightning is all around you. And there's not much delay between that flash and the thunder's boom you hear because it tells you it's right here. You know, there's thunderstorms where you don't know with any second your house might be hit. And when the thunder booms, you don't just hear it, you feel it. And you want to shelter, you want to hide. Or perhaps maybe you see the ominous clouds off in the distance. And you think, you feel the pressure, you feel the wind. And you think, you know, at any second a funnel cloud might come down. And I don't have anywhere to run. I don't have a basement to hide into. You think I'm nuts a little bit. I'm afraid, I assure you. There's a fear within me. But here's why I praise God. Because it's in that moment in time I realize God can dissolve me just like that. And I sense and I fear God. And I understand how small I am. You know, you're out at sea, you see the waves, and the wave knocks you down, and you're pinned on the ground, and you say, God, help me. This wave has got me pinned, and I can't get up. And you realize that you are at the whim of God. This is a moment where the delusion is swept away, and we see life as it is. Now, in that moment of time when you realize God can zap you, take you out, What he's saying here, when he says that God, Jesus, is the upholder of all things by the word of his power. That little glimpse in the storm is reality. It's just the facade has been taken away. Right now you feel secure. You you hear no thunder. You see no storm. You see no lightning. You think, I don't know what could happen. I see no danger. But what you need to realize Is the invisible forces that are working to hold your atoms, your molecules together, have a source. And those forces at work, though invisible, are authored by Jesus. And with a word, these forces are working together to hold your molecules and atoms together so that you're sitting here listening to me. And with just the unspeaking of a word you can dissolve into nothing. So that little reality you get in the midst of a storm is reality. And it's how life is. Now here's what gets me. I can be sitting here and I'm being held together by the word of Jesus. The molecules, everything, it's, you know, it's kind of like the um, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost You remember the melting scene, you know? God could do that. I can do that. But I'm being held together and he gives me options. And I can with my molecules held together, with my brain held together, the dirt that he made me, with the breath that he's given into me, I can with this breath, with this dirt, with these molecules, with these atoms being held together, say to God, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I choose against you by living my own life. And he lets that happen. (laughs) Every one of you, Have found yourself in that situation. We all have done that. By our choice. We've rebelled rebelled against God. (laughs) You know it's kind of like being in a boat. And you're in this boat and there's a deep sea. Who on their right mind will drill holes in that boat? It's the only thing that holds you together. But yet we do that with God. He is the one that's holding us together, though we don't even realize it. We rail against him by exalting ourselves in our own ways. And the author is saying, this one that's speaking is the one that's upholding you by the word of his power. Well, let's go to the next reason, because we desperately need it. This same one, he had by himself purged our sins (laughs) purged our sins what does that mean I want you to notice something here one done by himself he doesn't need your help your eternal destiny it's not based on how good you are how many sacrifices you make he did it by himself and notice purged all right grammatical students tell me what tense is that word E.D. makes it past tense. It's been done. It's been done. All right? So, listen. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sins. He paid for all my sins. It is wrong for me to think That, okay, I prayed and I trusted Jesus and asked Him for forgiving my sins. I'm trusting in His work. So all my sins I did at that point have been forgiven by God. I now live a little bit by faith and I still commit these sins. And so, what's going to happen now for these sins? Listen. When He purged my sins, He didn't just do the sins that I know about already. He did the sins that I yet to know, that I've yet to do. It's all been purged. That word purged is where we get the word catharsis. If you're reading it in in the language, it would be the word catharsis. He gave me a catharsis, a cleansing of my sins. And he did it by himself. And therefore, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The one who's speaking today, the gospel, is the one... Who is the upholder of my very existence. He is the expressed image of his person. He is the one who's purged me of my sins. He is the brightness of his glory, appointed heir of all things through him. He created all things. Listen to him. So, let me uh, bring some practicality to this. When you're trying to make a decision about business, about your family, about your activities for the day. You must consider Jesus on the cross. He is the final word. He is the gospel. And he must be the background of our decisions. There are within that action. Within the gospel itself. Principles that will apply to your decisions. And if you don't consult the gospel, you do not consult Jesus and the revelation of God through Jesus Christ in your decisions regarding your family, your, or your business, where you live. You are taking the best God has given you and ignoring it. And then say, God, oh, I need a word from you. <laughs> Give me your wisdom. Can you just tell me what I need to be doing here? <laughs> and God is saying, I've told you. Through Jesus, consider him and apply the principles to you. When you're dealing with a family tragedy, when things don't go your way, and we cry, and we break our heart, and we go to God, here's what we tend to do. You know, all these bad things keep happening to me. God must be punishing me. I need to live right so God won't punish me. That is a pauper way of thinking. Listen, when God wanted to choose an action to reveal his thoughts toward you, he did not choose the latest blessing or the latest tragedy to reveal that. So you can't be thinking, oh, I've lived a charmed life, therefore God must really like me. What do you go to? You choose that action. That he chose to reveal himself. You go to the cross. And when you ask yourself. God what do you think about me? Because I've got cancer in my life. Does that mean you hate me? You're cursing me? No. When you don't look at the cancer to reveal what God thinks about you. You look to Jesus on the cross. And you see the cancer in your life. And you think. God. What do you think about me? You look to Jesus on the cross. And you realize. Jesus loves me. He died for me. He will help me through this cancer. The great sin is uh, the disease of our life is sin. It is in our heart and it will ruin the gospel. And we will not be able to think rightly about God. Therefore, we will not think rightly about life. That's why sin is so devastating. It's funny. It's not really funny, actually. It's kind of scary. The swine flu. Uh, all that's entailed. When I have a pregnant wife with a baby, uh, already, two kids. We take it seriously. <laughs> you know, like, no, well, we should take the swine flu vaccination. Not, you know, what, what do we do? And there's starting to be a fear, a paranoia, and it will grow as months go into October, November, December. And we don't want it. We don't want it. We will guard ourselves against it. But let me just present to you The swine flu is just the latest manifestation of disease and sickness, which at the heart is sin. Why don't we take the same precaution that we do against sickness and flu as we do in our own heart and sin? It will ruin and rob you of the wisdom and blessings and the word of God. Take the antidote and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will grant you wisdom and insight to deal with whatever life gives you. It is the most superior word from God because it is the brightness of His glory. The express image of His person is the one who upholds all things. It is through Him through which the world was made. He is the heir of all things and is by Himself that He has purged our sins. And it is He who sits down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Hear Him. Listen to him. Sin will rob your heart against him. And it will make it so you won't even be able to hear. Even when the word of God is preached to you. You can't hear. Because sin is in your heart. Listen. He is a far superior one. When I uh, first started being mobile with machines began with big wheels, little plastic motorcycles, and tricycles. But when I discovered bicycles with training wheels, I left the tricycles alone, and they remained not played with. But when I learned to ride a bicycle, the training wheels were left off, never to be put upon again. But when I learned how to drive a car, The bicycle lost its place. What you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the best revelation of God. Don't live with tricycles. And bicycles. Live with the best in the word of God. Sure dreams have their place. But only in conformity to Jesus Christ. And the word of God given there. The prophets, we will count as gifts from God, but the prophets are to be interpreted by Jesus Christ. There are some who will say, well, you know what? Jesus was good. He was a good prophet, but we've got someone better. Muhammad is his name. He gives us a better revelation. Oh, we've got a letter, a better book, a better gospel in the book of Mormons. And Jesus had his place, but he has been superseded by this revelation. And when I read Hebrews chapter 1, it cries against that and says, In these last days you've been given the best. There is no other to go to. So let me ask you, do you know the gospel? Do you read the word of God? Sure, you come here. And you listen to me on Sunday morning, but you've got a gift. The best that God has given you of Jesus Christ, given through the word of God. Do you leave the best God's given you on the bookshelf, on your desk, in your car? The word of God is meant to be lived. Do you know it? Do you seek him? Read the word in your life. But I would encourage you, make sure Jesus is reigning in your life. I've you know, come from a country, visited a country in Nepal where you drive by and you see a, a shrine. Someone put some red dye on and some food in hopes of worshiping this God. Drove by a beautiful tree, big old tree, stood out. Didn't see a big tree like that in all of Kathmandu. And I think, wow, look at this tree. But I realized as I looked at it, someone thought even higher of it than I did. They worshiped the tree. They had the signs of worship there, and the dye, and the food placed there. You go to Dubar Square, in the the capital of Kathmandu, in the center of the Kathmandu, and there you have a temple where once, a group of temples where they have once a year over a hundred bulls slaughtered for the 108 statues that are in this place that they call gods. And there the blood is shed and they take the intestines and put upon on top of a door that once a year will be opened to represent this time of worship with this, this God. And these intestines are left there to remind everyone there that sacrifice had been made. You're good for this year. I just want to tell you from the word of God, what Jesus is saying here and the uh, scriptures are saying here is that you have one who needed no help, who laid down his life to be a sacrifice for us. And so that's not just once a year. It is for all of time. There has been a way made for you to talk to God and God to speak to your heart through Jesus Christ. Take advantage of it. We hear stories like this and we think, how crude. Have a physical statue like that. Let me assure you, idolatry is just as present in this society. It's not overtly done with statues. They have gods there, the god of business. It's a statue, elephant head. Uh, God of prosperity, rather. But there's a god of business. Um, You know, god of sexuality, fertility. It's interesting, I go back to America, though I don't see these. I see people making sacrifices to the God of business, the God of prosperity, God of sexuality, fertility. It's not done with food, but it's done with that which was paid for the food. It's done with time and energy. Time and energy used to buy food over there, die. Time and energy used here toward the same purposes. When someone says, I must have a good business and to my liking for my life to have meaning and fulfillment, guess Who the idol is. When you find that you have to have satisfaction. Because of your business. For your life to make sense. Guess who your God is. When you say that you have to have. uh, Prosperity in your life. For your life to make sense. Guess who the God is. I assure you. The gods of prosperity. Blessings. Business. Sexuality. Fertility. Fertility. They may look different, but the same worship's taking place. Don't settle for tricycles. You've got Jesus, who is the express image of God. We worship an invisible God made visible in Jesus Christ. Worship Him. Worship Him. Let's pray.